Hello and welcome to your Fairy God Mentor. This is the show that inspires, encourages, educates, and supports expected couples who desire to confidently navigate pregnancy, birth, and finding balance in an unbalanced world. I am Angie Taylor, the mother of nine with two degrees in natural health. I'm also a birth insider, knowing the ins and outs of the birth industry and all of the good, the bad, and the ugly. I've worked with expectant couples since 2003 in a variety of roles, including birth educator, birth doula, home birth midwife, breastfeeding support, and life coaching. Sit back and enjoy hearing about all the things you never knew you never knew. Today on Your Fairy God Mentor, I interview Bethany Geddes, who is a highly dynamic, internationally known certified holistic nutritional consultant and real food advocate. Bethany is focused on guiding busy, health conscious mothers to their own optimum healthy lifestyle through nutrition while creating constant holistic balance and harmony. After all, she created her business, Nutritious and Delicious, because she believes a healthy family starts with a healthy parent. Welcome to this episode of Your Fairy God Mentor. Today I'm chatting with Bethany Geddes, and we are going to talk about the elephant in the room when it comes to pregnancy and birth, you know, the things they don't tell you, the things that, um, are unexpected. And, and I think a lot of times it's stuff that we just, if we tried to cover everything, we would be talking to a woman every minute of every day throughout her entire pregnancy. Cause there's just so much. Would you agree? Yeah, I totally agree on that one. So Bethany, you have given birth to two boys, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So what, what would you say is this, is something that surprised you? Well, I think the first time I became a mom, um, that was probably the biggest shock and the biggest surprise for me. My, um, my sons now are eight years old and six year olds, uh, six year old currently. And the first time I became a mom, I think I had this notion in my head that it was going to be a lot easier than it actually was. Um, and my first baby, I was excited to have, you know, be become a mom, but I think when it actually sort of came into sort of the first month of being a mom, I didn't realize how much, um, emotional and mental energy I think it took from me. And I don't think I was sort of prepared myself ahead of time. Um, and I suffered pretty bad with postpartum depression and also postpartum anxiety. Um, and, we can go into that and kind of my experience and stuff too, but that was kind of my first, um, sort of shock and going into motherhood for myself. Yeah. I remember for, for me, you know, people might say it's a miracle. You remember that because my oldest is 33 years old. Um, but I vividly remember the day when he was six weeks old and we had been struggling with breastfeeding and, I watched, um, I watched the movie ET and for some reason at the end, I started crying and I couldn't stop. I cried the rest of the day and it took me a while to figure out what the problem was. And it, the problem was that I had realized that day 
that it was once again possible for me to be completely alone. You know, during a pregnancy, you have this baby to talk to all the time. So for me, that was the thing that shocked me. So, so here you are, you're this brand new mom and everything is intense. Um, and I have started no, putting moms on notice. The first three months are very intense. There's a lot to do. There's a lot to learn. You and your baby are learning each other and each other's habits. And just when the baby gets set on a schedule, they change it. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just as mom keeps saying, you know, yeah. says, oh, they're finally taking a two-hour nap in the middle of the day. Yeah. I can get this done. It's like they know. And so they change things yeah. up. So what would you say are some of the biggest differences between having your first and having your second? What I noticed with having my first versus having my second is that I was a lot more confident going into my second, even though the anxiety I would say was still high when I was pregnant with my second, because I had struggled quite a bit with the postpartum depression, um, and I would say I probably didn't even know I had postpartum depression or anxiety until about six months in. Um, and it was sort of pointed out to me from my partner at the time that I wasn't going out in public very often. And I was sort of avoiding other people with my second baby. Um, I noticed the confidence level was up, even though I had a lot more on my plate to do, I would say like physically, I had a toddler and a newborn baby, but I think the confidence, because I got through something um, so difficult with my first, and it was a, a very steep learning curve from um, not being a mom to all of a sudden being a mom. Um, and then the other aspect was I knew the second time around that I actually was a good mom. Um, and I think what had happened in my first round was that I was sort of telling myself a story of how it should be and how I should be and how I should love this and enjoy this and be relishing in it. And I wasn't. And I was depressed and anxious and on edge and barely sleeping and not really feeling like I fit into sort of what this like box of motherhood should look like of like again um in the social aspect now people are posting things on Instagram about how they bounce back after their baby and they're so happy and joyous and this kind of this like fake facade of like how motherhood should go and I think um I sort of looked at people going out in public and seeing those same things that their baby was happy and content and the moms were doing really well. Well, what I didn't sort of realize for the first, I'd say six months with my first was that I had a very colicky baby and it wasn't like a few weeks of colic. Like this kiddo was like this for like 10 months straight. And it was very difficult for me. Um, so with that, the other aspect is with my second, my skill level went up massively because I had gone through the ringer with my first. And like you said, sort of having to learn the baby's needs and your needs and kind of getting into these schedules while I was already very well equipped um, with all these sort of tips and tricks to kind of settle a colicky baby. But my second baby was completely different baby it was very relaxed and calm and I didn't need to I was used to pacing the hallways and um not being able to settle this you know settle this baby that 
And then I thought it was something that was wrong with me, right? Yeah, it's very common that we, we blame ourselves. Why can't I do yeah. this? How come I can't figure this out? And it's not mm-hmm. like they come with a manual. Mm-mm. You know, I wish they did. Right? <laughs> right. Because that's the other thing yeah. that you discover is that even with all of the parenting books that we have on the shelves, there's not a single one that fits 100% your baby, no. your experience, and, and your life. The only one I sort of found that I could um, connect with, I think, was one about talking about the fourth trimester. So I know, you know, how um, babies, when they're out, you know, we're not like horses where they get up and they just walk like the, like pretty much right away. Like babies are very um, needy and they need, they still feel like they should be in the womb. Like, right. So I think that was the only sort of real book that I could grasp um, and kind of help my colicky baby because he liked a lot of really loud noises like vacuum cleaners and loud, like running, no- like tap noises or like air conditioning type of noises. And you would think, oh, a baby wants quiet. So here's me doing the opposite things and then reading things and being like, oh, I'm actually doing the complete opposite of what I should be doing. Right, right. People don't understand how loud it is in the womb. Yeah. You know, all of the sounds, (laughs) the baby hears everything going on in your body. Um, It is not quiet in there at all. Excuse me. So it's just not quiet in there at all. and so they do, they do like the noise. Um, and the movement too. I noticed with my first, he wouldn't, honestly, I put him down in a, in a, in a crib and he wouldn't have anything to do with it, like naps or going to sleep. So I'm like, the only way I'm going to save myself is if I have him constantly moving and I knew I couldn't be the person rocking him back and forth all night long because I was losing my, my sanity. So I ended up putting him in, um, we had a baby swing that could actually go down, um, a little bit lower so he could sleep properly. And, um, it also helped too, cause he had really bad reflux. So he kind of needed to be a little bit semi sitting up anyways. Mm-hmm. So that helped us, but it, we, we burnt out a, um, a swing, like, cause it was an electric one, but the motor died. Like it was a brand new swing. Cause we used it so much because it helped him and it helped me sleep. So again, it was like a survival thing. Like I need this thing because it's helping me keep my sanity and like during the day and helping me sleep and helping him stay asleep. Right. So. Yes. And I I love that you've touched on some of the the aspects of mothering that we don't really talk about a lot. And and that is the fluff that's out there. Um, Yeah. uh, You know, and also I have heard people, you know, um, how do I want to say demean and belittle mothers who have the swing, you know, you should have your baby in this, in a wrap or a ring sling all the time instead of in a swing. But, you know, sometimes mom is touched out and she needs to put that baby down and she needs to be able to just be by herself. Um, I, I experienced that when we had two little boys that were um, 19 months apart. And then at church, I was called to serve in the nursery where they were in the nursery. And so (laughs) here I am at church. I've got them every day, all day and at church. And I would get home and I would just tell my husband, I'm going to our room, 15 minutes, nobody. I'm all touched out. I need to be left alone. Just give me 15 minutes. So yeah. 
I think it's so important for us women to understand that it really doesn't matter what Sally down the street is doing. No. What matters is what works for us in our situation. Right. And I think that's where I got to the point because I sort of had to wait until I was like at a breaking point um, of you can only listen to a baby screaming so much. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're touched out, tapped out, you know, like breastfeeding takes a lot of you, like a lot out of you as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I get that, like a lot of women, um, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of shame, unfortunately, around what you should be doing. And also a lot of not good advice out there, I I find um, of what to do. And sometimes it doesn't work for your baby. Um, and you're trying something and it's sort of, you're going up a hill. Um, I found for myself, I, I had to have those breaks too. Like if I didn't do it, what's the alternative, I'm going to be a complete mess. And that's usually where I used to get to. Whereas I was, you know, crying on the bathroom floor, which a lot of moms probably do and don't talk about, um, because I just felt like I was constantly failing and, it's a very hard place to be in, but that's a place where I'm like, I needed to realize I can only do so much as one person. And if I need 15 minutes where I'm not holding my baby and I just sit and relax. And honestly, like I had to put headphones in sometimes because I, I got to the point where if I could still hear him, my stress hormones were so high and then therefore I couldn't breastfeed him properly. So it started to affect my sleep. It started to affect me feeding him. It started to affect the bond. So um, looking back, this is where I think we're going to get into, I think that more of that question of like what I should have been doing. So, you know, before, before my second came along. So. Right. Right. So what, what did you know with your second that you could do um, in those postpartum months, um, you know, when everything is so intense that you wish you had known with your first? I think because I had so much stress going in with my, my first, um, and the learning curve was extremely steep. I noticed I almost had to prepare myself during the pregnancy of my second, my second, um, I was very anxious. I'd say while I was pregnant, because I I almost didn't want to go through the same experience all over again. And my first was about 22 months old when he was born. So I knew it was going to be two under two in diapers, like intense, crazy. Um, And I was prepared for that. And I knew I could physically do it. I was more scared. I think emotionally, how much, how much I could take. Um, So I think what I did was I sort of prepared myself ahead of time. So instead of going sort of the medical route, which I did with my first, labor, um, which was a very, I'd say stressful labor. Um, I went the whole epidural route with my first almost ended me up in an emergency C-section, which I didn't end up having had him naturally, but again, vacuum, all that kind of stuff. So it was a bit of a stressed out situation. Um, so that was kind of my first thing was that I wanted to naturally have my second. I knew I could do it. I had to mentally prepare myself. So I ended up getting, um, under a midwife's care. Um, and then I ended up hiring a doula as well. So the doula was really helpful because she was sort of the spokesperson for me, um, and was also there to get my partner, um, to 
obviously help sort of with my pain and all that kind of stuff and um, be the voice for what I actually wanted. So that really helped during the labor itself. Um, And then I also had hired her ahead of time for postpartum care. So I had her come into the house for about four weeks where basically I sat on my butt and I breastfed my second baby and my toddler was running around and she basically was looking after my toddler, kind of like what a a grandma would do, I guess. Um, And again, I had, I was lucky enough to have my my mother and my in my mother-in-law there at the time. But again, I was too scared to reach out and ask, can I have your help every day, please? Like, so I decided to hire it out instead and let them just be the grand grandmas. Um, And the doula was really helpful because it sort of eased me emotionally and mentally into becoming a mom of two and telling myself I could do it. So I had somebody with me throughout that process of coming over in the morning, staying for quite a few hours, preparing the dinner, like setting it all up for us, giving my son food, making sure I was eating lunch. So as I'm feeding, breastfeeding my, my newborn and my toddler's playing, um, you know, she's handing me a sandwich and I'm breastfeeding my baby. So I got to relax and actually enjoy the process. And she sort of started to, um, give me little things here and there just to kind of get me slowly into kind of like doing it myself. So I think that really helped build my confidence. Um, And then the other thing I noticed sort of on a nutritional supplement level was with my first, I ate really well, I'd say, and took a lot of good, like really healthy supplements um, throughout both my pregnancies. So I know I had a very healthy pregnancy with both of them. Um, and I even worked out with both of them up until about seven months where I was just too big. Um, but I noticed after both my, my first, I stopped taking the supplements when I was breastfeeding. And that's probably what I should have actually been continuing to do because in my mind it was, well, the baby's gone. Like he's, you know, breastfeeding off me now. But then I noticed with my first, um, my breastfeeding stopped about five or six months in my milk started to dry up. My iron levels decreased. My energy was on the floor. Um, my second, I also had the same issue, but it was more related to my iron levels. So I had taken iron kind of throughout my second pregnancy and that helped build, you know, good blood. And again, because I had the baby and all that, like my levels still decreased, I was breastfeeding and it was still going down. So I would say I tried a lot harder my second time around and gave myself a lot more supplements. My body just couldn't cope with the breastfeeding. I think I was just too stressed. I think in terms of um, doing so much, I was running around a lot. And I think my body sort of my milk supply dried up a bit because I was also working out as well on top of that. So um, I would definitely say continue taking your supplements throughout your pregnancies into postpartum because that's where, again, a lot of women are coming off this massive roller coaster of, of hormones and then they stop sort of taking care of themselves, um, supplements, nutrition. And then the other part of it is, like I said, I started asking for more help. So I think um, instead of, you know, thinking I could do it all with my first, my second, I sort of decided, yeah, you can take, you know, my eldest and that way I can bond with my second a little more, or just kind of them, you know, having the baby a little bit for a few hours, just in between sort of breastfeeding. So I was, I think less hard on myself the second time as well, which was massively helpful. I love that. I love all of that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, postpartum doulas are amazing. People ask, well, what exactly do they do? Now everybody knows um, mm-hmm. how doulas can help in the postpartum period. Um, and yes, when one of, one of the things that they do not tell us about breastfeeding is that it does take a lot out of you. So yeah. it's like, if you calculate it when you're pregnant, they claim that all you have to do is increase your caloric intake by 300 calories to support the growing baby. Um, for lactation, it's actually 500 calories extra to support the lactation. And that does not include if you're exercising. Um, so when you are expelling more energy, you've got to take even more. And then you throw in there tandem nursing. So the moms who are still breastfeeding and they're pregnant, consider yourself tandem nursing and you really need to be eating almost 3000 calories a day right to get everything that you need um so you know for for me it was um baby sorry i have to you know just figure it out three baby number five is the one that i came home from the hospital and i said we've got teenagers i'm gonna be upstairs for two solid weeks, just me and him. I'm going to stomp on the floor when I need something. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Our bedroom was above the family room. So yeah. I knew that they would hear me, um, but they brought me water. They kept me with lots of food. Um, and I just stayed in my pajamas and was either in the bed with the, the nursling or I was in the rocking chair and so glad that I did that. I did that with all the the rest of them. Uh, we have nine total. Um, so I made sure that I took that time. So I think that's the biggest lesson for us as moms to learn. I the time for ourselves, right? Yeah. I I notice working in like kind of a weight loss industry myself a lot of women try and lose the weight right after they've had the baby. So this is where I, like when we were talking about the breastfeeding situation, I noticed where women are like, I'm not losing weight and I'm breastfeeding. Like why am I not losing weight? So they're trying to reduce their calories and like eat foods that are very um, water-based. I would say not really hormonally helping them. Um, so salads and, you know, chicken and things like that, but there's not a lot of like good healthy fats in there. So they're trying to sort of lose weight while they're breastfeeding and their milk supply is going a lot lower um, and the baby's not gaining weight and all that. So that is kind of a a bit of a problem because again, like we talked about sort of in the social aspect is that there's this push to get back into sort of like your skinny jeans right away. And again, we see it with like celebrities and all this, this crazy stuff. And it's like, well, these celebrities might also have somebody that's maybe feeding their baby or they're on formula or something else. Like you don't know everyone's situation, but typically if you're trying to breastfeed you, again, you do need to increase your calories where a lot of people are trying to reduce their calories, even past sort of like a normal, um, calorie intake. So they're kind of going into dieting and then wondering why they have like no energy and, you know, their bodies are kind of like breaking down. So I've, that's something like I've massively noticed as well for a lot of women. Right. Well, and it takes, it takes up to eight weeks for you to really build a good solid milk supply. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
the, the reducing of calories during lactation is, is just not a good idea. Um, not just because you're going to have the, the milk supply dwindle, but then the body's got to figure out where am I going to get this energy from? And then you start with right. muscle wasting, right? Right. So it's really important to, you know, listen to that hunger. If you're hungry, go in and eat. And pay attention to the mm-hmm. cravings. I talk to lots of moms that, that are like, well, I'm constantly craving sugar. I'm like, because you don't have enough protein and fat in your diet. Um, get yeah. those slow burn energy sources in there and you will notice your sugar cravings take a nosedive. Um, you know, sugar is just that nice, quick energy source and the body knows if it's got to have that or it's going to crash it's going to drive you nuts until you, you know, go and eat that great big tub of whatever type of sugar, whether it's cookies or ice cream or, or whatever it might be. Right. A lot of women I find are very empty calorie driven sort of, um, and because of time as well, it's like, well, I don't have time. I'm feeding my baby. I'm looking after my kids. I'm like, but if you don't look after you, like, Mm-hmm. like you're putting yourself last on the list every single time, like you're going to suffer. Right. Mm-hmm. And I find a lot of women, they go to the cupboard and it's like, what can I eat out of a box quickly or out of my diaper bag quickly? And it's usually just some form of empty carbohydrate versus like when I say to women have more calorie dense, like protein shakes or trail mix or something that's easy to grab or a piece of fruit with peanut butter or something along those lines, or at least cheese or something that has some sort of like healthy fat in it for you. Um, and then have your family meal later, because a lot of women are kind of like always say I'm on the go and they survive off coffee, sugar coffee typically. And then they get to the end of the day and they're crashing and you know, they're, they're also when postpartum, your hair falls out tons too. So a lot of women aren't supplementing that as well. Cause your your nutrition levels coming down, the baby's going to get everything it needs breastfeeding, right? Like it's, it's you that's going to be the empty vessel at the end of the day. Right. Right. And then we wonder as we get older and the kids are no longer breastfeeding what's going on. And we discover, oh, I've got a thyroid issue or, or diabetes mm-hmm. or something else. And we don't realize that it came from what we were trying to do immediately post-birth, trying to fit into this totally unrealistic mold. Um, you know, you, you brought up, we, we see the celebrities are, are able to do all of this so quickly, but we don't understand that most of them restricted weight gain so much during their pregnancies that they didn't have a lot to lose to begin with. They also in doing that, um, sadly it has been shown through a study that was done during, um, the Nazi occupation in Germany that, when we severely restrict calories and weight gain of the pregnant woman over the nine months of pregnancy, we're setting her child up for health conditions that show up in their adult years, like diabetes and hypoglycemia and COPD. And there's just this list of things that, that we're guaranteeing is going to happen simply because they didn't get the nutrients they needed in utero. Mm because mom was more concerned about how people viewed her body. Um, So very important conversation for all of us to have is that, you know, it doesn't mean that when you're pregnant, you can go hog wild and, and, you know, eat all of those things. 
there, there's, mm-hmm. there is science to it. It, it does matter what you eat. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I released a podcast about prenatal nutrition and its entire role um, in creating the blood volume expansion that is necessary for a truly healthy pregnancy that leads to a truly healthy birth experience. Um, so we have to understand what that looks like, right? Um, yeah. And oftentimes there's, there's a growing number of women who will continue to eat that same way during lactation because it just provides so much goodness, um, lots of protein, dietary fat, um, the salt needed by the body, hydration, all of the good stuff. Yeah. I found hydration was huge for breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you're third, when you're breastfeeding, you're thirsty because you're giving off so much liquid already. Right. So I remember just chugging back like water liquids, like you wouldn't believe I probably consumed more in liquid than I did in food because I was just always needing that, that volume, right. Of, um, giving off, off from myself, um, to, to the baby. Right. 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 And, and I always let moms know when you go to sit down and nurse, you know, in that moment, you're not feeling thirsty or hungry. The moment that kid gets latched on and your body starts releasing that milk, your body goes, give me something now. Yeah. <laughs> you can't get up, but you got to have something there for yourself. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> like, you need a bell. Ding, ding, ding. Hello, somebody come and help me. I only had a toddler, so you couldn't help me just passing me diapers, you know? <laughs> right. right. It's, a, it's a really great project for dad to do for mom is to yeah. create Ziploc baggies of, of nutrient dense foods that she can just grab real quick on her way to the the favorite nursing spot um, so that it's there and ready for her when that hunger shows up. Cause you and I both know the hunger shows up. Um, doesn't Ravenous. matter. <laughs> yes. And it doesn't matter if you just ate. Yep. Um, <laughs> I remember that too. Like I'm so hungry. Like I've just eaten, but I'm like, I'm no, I need, like, I'm searching out for like, I need more food. <laughs> And then it's just, you know, out of sure necessity, you discover that even though you've got a baby latched on, you can figure out how to get yourself up out of the chair and carefully walk into the kitchen and you can make something with one hand, but it's a whole lot more fun if you know that your sweetheart has already prepared some baggies of of goodies for you to snack on while you're feeding the baby. Oh, so, so much goodness here, Bethany. Mm -hmm so much of the things that, that we as women really need to be talking about more and we need to be mm-hmm. loving on each other more. Um, I've had, I've had plenty of times in the grocery store where I walk past a mom and the baby's crying and you can see the stress on her face. And, and I just look at her and say, I'd offer to take your baby, but your baby's probably not going to like me, but how can I help you? Um, and if there's nothing that I can do to help you right now, just know that I'm a mom and I get it and you're doing a great job. Yeah. You know, we all experienced that baby crying, um, through the grocery store. And we know that everybody is talking about the baby crying. Why can't they just shut up the baby? And sometimes you just can't shut up the baby. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, mom still needs to get stuff done and she's got a baby that's crying that doesn't want to nurse that isn't in that moment, truly soothable for whatever reason. And we mm. just need to help her get the things that she needs to get so that she can get back to 
the security of her home. Um, and, and sometimes just being a friend and just saying, hey, you're doing a great job. Even though all the kids are hanging off of you and are acting like monkeys, you're doing a great job because that's motherhood. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think we're more we're more able to sort of um, in society, like help pregnant women. Like it's like, Oh, I'll open the door for you. You can go to the bathroom first. You can go in line first, but like you're there with a screaming baby. Most people avoid you <laughs> right. like the plague. Right. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Cause we think, well, what am I going to do? How am I supposed to help? But there's always something that you can do yeah. to help. Yeah. I agree. To take some of that pressure off of her. There's enough pressure on us as women Um, But especially when we become mothers, there just seems to be exponentially more, not just the expectations that we have on ourselves, but the expectations we can feel from the world on what we're supposed to do and who we're supposed to be and and how we're supposed to do it. Um, And so we, it it is all too easy to just stay at home and not... (laughs) deal with yeah, it. not not put your makeup on or get dressed and it's like it's easier in here I don't feel as judged but a lot of women when they're at home they're they're secretly judging themselves because mm-hmm. I was one of them yeah yeah I've been there this morning mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> isn't it daily no. <laughs> yes yes no this morning I just didn't wake up in a good mood and it had just been all morning have been talking myself into that better mood and just, you mm-hmm. know, I don't know where this is coming from, but it's got to go because this isn't who I am. It's not the way I like to think about myself and, and the things that are going on in my life. Um, and I have control over this. I, I have the right to say, stop, get those thoughts out of my brain. Right. Um, you know, but at the I same think- time, understanding that sometimes we just need to take a nap. I think sometimes having the notion of it's just temporary, I think is helpful because I think when we sort of get into that negative mindset or that, um, feeling bad about ourselves or our situation, I think going into the mindset of this is just temporary. It will pass tomorrow's another day, or I'm going to have this nap and I'm going to wake up and I'm going to actually feel better because otherwise we'll drag the entire day with us or going into the night and say, well, tomorrow's going to be like this too. Um, and I think as moms knowing that, yeah, today sucked <laughs> and you've had that awful day where nothing's worked and you're just a complete mess. Tomorrow's a new day. Right. Right. And I think all too often too, we, we know that we do impact how everybody else in the home is feeling. We know right. that we've, we've right. each have experienced that. And so it just becomes too easy to think, oh, I'm just going to stay in my room because I'm not in the right frame of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, however, when we do that, we're hiding away from the people that need us, you know? And so we have to, we have to come up with our own ways of changing that mindset even if it's temporary for me, I just start singing. I love to sing. So that just seems to release everything for me. Um, Sometimes you just need a good cry. Sometimes it's a nap. Sometimes you're feeling that way because you're hungry and you just Mm -hmm. even haven't realized that you're hungry. Um, But I think the most important thing that we as women and mothers can do is acknowledge that it's okay to have a bad day. Yeah. I think sometimes just listening to um, 
even a funny, a funny show or reading a funny book, even if it's just a chapter, um, something just to kind of get you out of what you're going through right now. Because I think sort of when we can step into either, um, it, it depends, calling a friend, not calling a friend. I usually suggest call somebody that understands that has either been through being a parent um, and they can kind of laugh and relate back to you like, oh, I went through that too. Um, or another mom that's in sort of the same boat, like I get it. I think what I did as well was because I was um, probably the first out of my friend group to have kids was that when I talked to my friends, it was sort of like, um, I could tell there was like an annoyance on the other side of the phone that like, oh, I'll call you back later. The, you know, you're obviously got your hands fuller and it was kind of like pushed aside, like, oh, well, you know, I'll talk to you when you're less busy or something like that. So it made me feel even worse that I almost like my children were burdens and, and that, you know, like versus like somebody that he, he was a mom or a grandma, like understands and can laugh with you and can understand the interruptions and, and the baby crying or the toddler needing something. And I think having a community of supportive people around you is really helpful. And I don't think I had that with my first either. So I think I realized I had to sort of um, go into more of like mommy groups and and talk to other women that had children that could give me these kind of funny stories and like, oh, okay, it's not just me, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. Yes, I totally agree. Um, having as many children as we do, I've had to find friends who have large families as well. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that my, my friends that have fewer children aren't supportive. They just don't understand when you have you know, nine kids, they're all needing to go in different directions and it's just you. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think all too often we say to each other things that leave us feeling like, like you said, our kids are a burden or, or that lead us to feel as though they think that we wish we hadn't had so many children. Um, And that's, that's not helpful conversation at all. You know, each one of us, I think just needs to know there's someone who's willing to listen to what we have to say not fix what's going on. Right. But just hear us and hear what we're saying and validate what we're feeling. Yeah. I think that's key. I think validation is massive because when you don't feel validated, you, you suffer in silence, I I believe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about what you do because you, you touched on it a little bit um, Mm -hmm. and how you support moms um, in their journey. So share with us, what is it that you do? Yeah, definitely. So because of my experience, um, having postpartum depression and feeling alone and isolated, I remember reaching out like probably during the middle of the night, like a dozen times trying to find like a community of moms or something where I could like follow like a map or a guide to help me through, being a new mom, understanding depression, understanding like nutrition and supplements for myself. I didn't really have anybody. It was sort of like, you know, here's the baton, you know, and off you go. And it was like, okay, well, I have no concept of what I'm doing. So, um, I've gone through the ringer myself. I've had postpartum depression. I actually became a widow when my boys were three and five years old. And I've been a single parent as well. And, you know, having to navigate a new relationship um, with somebody different and it's, it's been a crazy ride. So I put my mindset, um, into a program, basically helping moms on a mummy membership. 
And it's six months basically of training to help moms be more educated around nutrition, postpartum depression, supplementation, not being so hard on ourselves and giving them really small increment tools um, that I've learned over, you know, my adversity in my life and helping them get to a place of feeling more confident and happy. And, you know, when they're nutritionally taking better care of themselves, they're doing it for the whole family. So I actually do run this mummy membership and I help a lot of moms throughout that process, um, get back to a state of feeling like themselves again. Um, and then I also help women as well with, uh, like I have a recipe book out there. So a lot of women ask me like, what can I make for dinner? Cause they may be past the postpartum stage and now looking at like, okay, well, I've got lots of kids, but nobody wants to eat the same food. I'm making like three different dishes and it's really frustrating. So I actually came up with a whole bunch of family recipes that my boys um, have tried and tested, and we've put them to good use in a recipe book that moms can download as well. So it's great ideas. And these are things like pizza, pasta, like ice cream, like all the things that you think that you can't have on a typical, what you would say diet, we've actually made them healthier with real whole foods and those healthy fats and those healthy nutrients that we've talked about. So we don't ever like eat just chicken and salad. Like we're all about like, we want homemade pizzas and we want homemade pasta and homemade ice cream and it's delicious. And that's something you can actually legitimately stick to with a family. Um, you know, cause obviously kids aren't going to eat what you're always going to eat if you're going to diet. Right. 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 Mm -hmm. It's so important to be able to feed everybody as a single meal. Yeah. <laughs> sure. So how do people find out more about your mommy sure. membership and your cookbook. So I usually just like to refer people to my website because it has all my social media handles on there. My membership is on there. My podcast is on there. The recipe book you can download from there. So the website is www.ndelish.com and you can find absolutely everything there for yourself. Love it. Love it. Thank you mm -hmm. so much, Bethany, for coming in and chatting with me today. I think we covered a, a variety of very important elephant in the room type of conversations and topics. I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. To learn more about me, your fairy god mentor, simply go to AngieTaylorFairyGodMentor.com. 